This morning we're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. I, I, need you to, uh, I need you to come to another scene. When we read the Bible, we need to try to put ourselves in the picture, or we, we forget things. We, we forget things that we had to memorize. Remember, we talked about the Lord's Prayer, and I preached on the Lord's Prayer, and we all memorized it, but we didn't understand it. And this is another portion of Scripture where we know about it, the temptations of Jesus, the three temptations that he occur, incurs with, with Satan. But I want us to see it this morning. I want us to go there with him. I want us to listen to the conversation that Jesus is having with the devil. Because there's a reality going on that we miss. So go with me to chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, verses 1 through 11. We'll go to several, several verses this morning. I, I told uh, AJ when I talked to her on the phone last night, there's going to be enough scripture verses here. We'll be here all day. And nobody said amen. Thank you very much. Chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40, how many days? 40 days, 40 nights, he became hungry. Well, that's not nice. That's a big surprise, isn't it? 40 days, 40 nights without food. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, and I need you to see some things. I need you to hang on to some things. Jesus says, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Get a picture? Temple, I'm standing on the edge. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Isn't he nice? Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is what? It is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan. Get lost, dude. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. We know the scene. We've talked about you've talked about it in Sunday school. You've talked about it in Bible classes. The temptation of Jesus. So that's great. But there's a background to this, and it's in chapter three of Matthew. And I I need you to see this so that you understand how we led up to chapter four and the situations going on. In chapter three, verse thirteen through seventeen, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. This is the first time Jesus is going to be exposed to the public. He wants John to baptize him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Are are we starting this thing off wrong, Jesus? John recognizes who he is. Jesus answered and said, permit it. Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the first public appearance of Jesus Christ. And in his first appearance, he comes riding in on a big white horse and saying, I'm the king, I'm the king. No, he doesn't. On his very first appearance, he comes in as a lowly individual and submits to John the Baptist for baptism in water. 
Isn't that interesting? He's supposed to be the king of kings. He's supposed to be the son of God. He should be high on a, on a, on a platform, a, a throne somewhere. And no, he comes and says, John, I want you to baptize me. I want you and I to fulfill some things so that God can do his work. As it happens, the, dove, the heavens opened up, the dove comes down, lands on his shoulders, and God speaks from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I hear Jesus looking up and saying, thanks, Dad. Do you hear him? Come on, get with the program. Get in the water with him. Feel the dove coming down. Feel the presence of the Holy Spirit coming and lighting on him. And listen to him speaking to the Father. The Scripture is not just words. The Scripture is reality. The Scripture is life. It is as a result of that submission to John and being baptized in the water and receiving the Holy Spirit in that form of a dove and thanking God for what God is doing. It is in that vein that Jesus walks away from there and a planned event takes place. A planned event. Verse 1 in chapter 4 said that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Hello? Go back there. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to have a little vacation. Oh, it doesn't say that. He was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. It is a planned event. Nothing in Jesus' life was accidental. Someone say amen. Nothing in his life was done by accident. There were no tricks involved in his life. There was nothing that he was trying to hide. He was totally open and submissive to the will of God, and he's saying, here I am, this is what I'm like. Nothing by accident happened to him. What about you? What about me in this life? Do you think it's an accident that you're here this morning? Do I think or do you think that it's an accident that I'm back here? And I say that humbly, because you know I love you, and I know you love me. Nothing was accidental, because the Holy Spirit was leading him. What about us, New Hope? What about us? Are we interested in being led by the Holy Spirit? Or do we just want to go our own way? You know, I'm, I'm used to doing this. Uh, don't bother me, Gary, because I've I got things I want to do. And I, you know, just you go your way. No, 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 no. Nothing is accidental in our life if we've given our life to Christ. I don't want accidental things in my life. I want the will of God in my life. And this temptation that he was going to go through was the will of God for, for Jesus. He was led by the Spirit. Jesus knew the devil was coming. Now, if you dig deep into the Scripture, you will find out, especially if you read the Italian version of the Bible, that Jesus and the devil knew each other. You knew that, didn't you? Lucifer was the worshiping angel. He was the choir director. Do you think that Jesus didn't know who he was when he was okay? They knew each other. And can't you just see <laughs> Satan comes down and, and the devil is there and Jesus looks at him and <laughs> I can see and hear Jesus saying, Hey, buddy, how you doing? You kind of changed since the last time I saw you. Are you thinking like I'm thinking? Jesus recognizes the person of the devil. He recognizes who is there. He also recognizes why he's there. Because the devil has totally changed the structure of his entire life by trying to replace God and getting kicked out of heaven. And the guy that got kicked out of heaven is now sitting facing Jesus Christ, his old buddy, and wants to tempt him into giving up everything God has planned for him. What about you? What about me? What about New Hope? What's God got planned for your life? 
I don't know that. Each of us are different. Each of us are walking a different path, but with the same Holy Spirit covering us. Well, I want that, don't you? I want to know that I know who Jesus is. I want to know who the devil is. Jesus knew he was coming. Jesus knew he was coming to tempt him. That's the job of the devil, is to tempt you from serving God, stopping you from serving God. And some of you may have gone, I don't know your backgrounds, I really don't, but some of you may have gone through some things, you understand what's going on here. And God has snatched you out of that pit and brought you out of that pit and put you in a place where you are now in relationship to God, which you were not in before because the devil had tempted you and you fell to that temptation. But Jesus came along. He knew the devil was coming. He knew there was going to be temptation. Verse 2. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever gone on a fast. Anybody ever gone on a, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word serious fast. Not a one-day fast or a two-day fast. That's okay. But, you know, I've never gone 40 days. I don't know where I'd be. He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Might I suggest to you that Jesus is at a weak point in his life? Might I suggest to you the devil, the devil knows that. The devil's got his eye on you. He knows what you're doing. He's no, he knows what you're going through. He knows the junk he's thrown at you. And he knows when you've stumbled over the junk that he's thrown at you. So Satan knows that Jesus is hungry. No question about it. Makes total sense. It's his weak point. And Jesus has a legitimate need for food. Listen to me. There are points in our lives when we will find a leak point, a weak point. We will go through whatever we go through, and that weak point will be the point where Satan comes and tries to drag us all the way down to hell. And so what does he do? He, he starts to question Jesus, and he says, If, because I know who you are, Jesus. I remember, you're the Son of God, I, I remember all that good stuff. But you're in need of food, Jesus, so uh, why don't you just tell the stones to turn to bread? It's legitimate. The temptations that will come your way will be at weak points in our lives, and we will consider certain things to be legitimate because gee, we need something. We're hungry for whatever that need may be. We're at that point where we must do something to take care of that particular need because the need is real. Nothing false about the need that you will have when the enemy tries to grab you. I'm in need. If you are the Son of God, do you know who you are in God? Do you understand what God has poured into your life? Do you understand you're not the same person you used to be before you met Jesus? Do you understand that you are a child of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb? Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Do you understand what's going on here when Satan is trying to kill him at his weakest point? That's what he does. He doesn't come when we're just worshiping God in the service, having a great time, and the Holy Spirit's falling, and we're just singing and praising. He doesn't come at that time. He comes when we've been starving for whatever. Turn the stones to be made into bread. Satan is giving instructions to Jesus. Isn't that nice? And he will do the same thing to us. Well, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. He's actually quoting scripture here. Jesus answers with scripture in verse 4. He said, this it is written. And I need you to remember the words, it is written. We'll get to that in a few moments. Jesus 
is not arguing with Satan. He's combating Satan with what he knows is strong. Satan has come down in, in Jesus' weak moment, and Jesus may have a weak moment physically, but he doesn't have a weak moment spiritually. And Jesus quotes Scripture. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. You'll find that in Deuteronomy. Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're suffering? So he answers him with Scripture in verse 4, which is Deuteronomy 8.3. You can go check it for yourself. He keeps talking about God's Word being the answer. Well, it is written. Let, let, let's talk about it is written for a moment. Because it is written refers to the Word of God. The reasoning behind what Satan is doing is he's saying to Jesus, you shouldn't have to suffer. And when we, he comes to our weak points, Gary, he looks us in the eye and says, you know, you're a child of God, Gary. You really shouldn't have to suffer like you're suffering, man. The devil says, let me help you, Gary. That's what the devil is doing to Jesus at his weak moment. That's when Jesus goes to the Scripture and says, it is written, it is written. We'll go to John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Someday I'm going to go into John with you, and we're going we're to see some things. But John chapter 1 is an amazing chapter in the Bible. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me stop right there for a moment. In, in the New Testament, you will hear references to the Word. And the reference to the Word is always a reference to whom? Who? Jesus. It's always a reference to Jesus Christ. So when we read this, and John is writing this, he's, John is saying, in the beginning was the Word. Who? Who? Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, the Word. And Jesus, the Word, was with God. And Jesus, the Word, was God. Oh. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Next verse. Verse 3. All things came into being through Jesus. And apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Jesus was life. And the life, Jesus, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, that's Jesus, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overtake it. Jesus just said to, to Satan, it is written. And what Satan doesn't realize is Satan is talking to the Word. Hello? In the beginning... Before God ever said, let there be light, before God took away the garbage that was called the world and straightened it out, before God ever made man out of the dust of the earth and, and Eve uh, out of his rib, before that, Jesus was the Word. And the Word is the Bible. You have it today. In, in other words, Jesus was Genesis through Revelation in the flesh. And the devil is trying to operate against the Bible, who is standing right there in front of him. Verse 5 and verse 6 of chapter 4, go back there, would you? Because he doesn't get anywhere. Satan doesn't get anywhere. The devil took him to the whole, into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, hey, because, you know, you just told me about the other junk, but, but if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Who is saying it is written? Come on. Satan is saying it is written. He, God, will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
So throw yourself down. Jesus said, on the other hand, <laughs> it is written, you shall not put your Lord to the test. Satan quotes out of Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12, which you can read on your own. Satan wants Jesus to misuse Scripture for his own advantage. Have you ever seen or heard anybody misusing Scripture for their own advantage? Let me see your hand. Can I tell you a true story? I love true stories. There was a time in our Christian movement several years back where several preachers got into what we call the prosperity doctrine. And they used the scripture, you know, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will God pour into your bosom. That's fine. I was watching TV one night and this preacher, and I won't mention his name, I think he's dead now, he's looking at the screen, he's looking at the camera, and he is saying, and he's not just talking, he's demanding, send me that check right now. If you want God to bless you, you write that check right now for $2,500. You send it to me immediately so I can stay on this program and do my thing. And blah, blah, blah. We had a complete circle of preachers who decided that you ought to take care of them. And that if you took care of them, God would take care of you. It's called the prosperity doctrine. Misusing scripture. That's what the devil is doing. He's misusing scripture. Yell, I've got news for you. If you go up on the top of the temple and you're standing on the top pinnacle and you look down, however many feet that is, and Satan says, go ahead, Rudy. God's going to pick you up. You're not even going to stub your toe. Oh, okay. Vroom. What happens? I'm dead. The scripture does not say that if I do stupid things, that God will catch me. And Satan is trying to get Jesus to do stupid things. And a lot of people got caught into that prosperity movement and sent money to whoever knows. I heard, I heard a preacher, another preacher, swear on TV. He swore and used a foul language. Send me that check right now. He's not longer alive either. So verse 5 of Matthew, it says that he takes him to the holy city. And he had him, oh, I told you, we were there at the pinnacle of the temple. Okay. The angels will catch you is a lie. You deciding you want to change doctrine, that's a lie. And everybody's going to give an account, preachers as well, for the nonsense they've caused and the hurt they've caused and the damage they've caused to Christians. They will stand before God. And I don't care who they are, who they think they are, or what they think they've accomplished, they will stand before God. And they'll say, but Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And Jesus is going to look at them and say, I don't know who you are, dude. Get lost. You're out of here. Because you have not been serving me. So, he says in verse 7, no, we're not going to do that. You, know, you shall not put the Lord God to your test. God doesn't have to prove himself. He is God. And sometimes when we're talking to people, and you know this, you're trying to figure out a way, how am I going to prove that God is God? And that, yeah, man. What am I going to say to this lady I'm talking to? And she sees me all the time and she comes into the store. And somehow I've got to prove to her that God is God. No, no. Do you know how you prove God is God? They see God in you. They see your life changed. They see your lifestyle in a different pattern. They see the desires of your heart. They see your temperament. They see the love coming flowing from you. That's how you prove who God is, by letting him flow through you. Okay? You don't prove God by jumping off a pinnacle. Verse 8 and 9, you've got to watch out. The devil, it says, took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms, listen to this, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down 
and worship me. Watch it. Watch it. You've got to watch out for this gift-giving devil. He wants to give you something. And if you take what he gives you, he's going to take away from you what you have. Just, just bow down to me. That, that's all you've got to do. You don't have to jump off anything. You don't have to stub your toe. You don't, you don't have to go crazy. You, you don't have to look stupid. Just bow down to me. I have a question. How in the world <clears throat> does Satan have the nerve to say he would give him these things? Well, it tells me in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, that Adam and Eve surrendered everything to Satan in the garden. Did you remember that? Go there, please. There we go. We're in the garden. We're in chapter 1. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Is that right? Okay, go on. God blessed them, and God said to them, hear me, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth. Every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God sought all that he made. Behold, it was very good. There was the evening, and there was the morning, the sixth day. When God created Adam and Eve, he put them together and said, okay, here's the deal. I'm giving you everything. I'm putting you in control. You are in charge of everything that you can see, feel, or hear. All the trees, all the food, all the plants, all the animals, all the fish, all the birds, all the... I'm putting them in your charge. You are now the Lord, so to speak, of what's going on here, because I made you perfect. You and Eve are perfect. So now I want you to control it. When Satan said to Jesus, just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the glories of the world. It was because Adam and Eve had turned it all over to the devil when they refused to obey God. When he said, stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, it was all Eve's fault. And all the men said, amen. amen. Thank you very much. Uh, these ladies are looking at me kind of funny. Start the car real quick. You've got to be careful when the, when the devil offers gifts. Because what he wants is he wants you to bow down and to worship him, a false god. And Jesus responds in verse 10 that we already read to you. And he, Jesus responds and he says, hit the road, Jack, and never come back, come back, come back, and never come back. You all remember that song? That's what Jesus said to Satan. Get out of here. Get out of my life. You don't have any place in my life. You don't have any room. I don't have a door that swings open and shut for you. Just get out of my life. And that's what Jesus is saying to us today. Get out of my life, Satan. I'm shutting the door on you. I don't need you for anything. I need God for everything. And he's supplying all my needs. That's what these temptations are all about. They're not just things that Jesus was going to go through for the sake of going through it. Jesus was quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 when he said, you worship God only. You worship God only. Satan's goal, it was to destroy Jesus' ministry. Well, I have a question. What does this have to do with us? And I've been waiting all morning long for Gary to ask that question. He never asked it. See What does this have to do with us? We've seen him go through three temptations. We've seen him slap the devil up the side of the head. But what does it have to do with us? Isn't that just something that Jesus had to go through? Yeah. Is there a meaning for us? Oh, yeah, there's a meaning for us. Jesus had to be tempted to sin 
so that he would know what we felt like when we were tempted to sin. That's why he went through this. Every time the enemy comes to you, Jesus understands it. Jesus feels it. He knows, he knows what's going on in your life. Jesus knows all our weak points. Come on, let, let's face it. That's not news to you. And none of us in this room are perfect. God knows that. But Jesus had to understand and feel why I go through what I go through when the enemy comes knocking at my door and wants to slap me upside of the head. Jesus needs to feel that. And so he did. This chapter proves that Jesus understands what I am going through and what you're going through. Nick, what everybody in here goes through. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me prove it to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Where did he come from? Huh? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Let me stop there. They had high priests in Israel. Do you think all those high priests felt good for you every time you came and had, had a blood sacrament? They'd go, oh, there she comes again. Another blood. Oh, okay, Gary's, coming. Gary's got that bull. He's got his, he's got his oh, the blood. I mean, you think those high priests really cared that much? They had too much they were dealing with. But it says, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near. Draw near to who? Draw near to our high priest. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That's why Jesus went through these temptations. That's why Jesus faced the devil. That's why he looked at the devil and said, get, get out of here. Hit the road. That's why Jesus used Scripture. Because the enemy cannot refute Scripture. Now, Satan hates the Scripture because he knows pretty much what it is. He was part of it. Doesn't mean he remembers everything. Doesn't mean he knew everything. It just means that he knew. This Jesus Christ became our personal high priest. I grew up as a young Catholic boy. My mother got saved when I was three years old. <clears throat> so I have never been into a confessional booth in my life. How many, how many have ever been to a confessional booth? You came from a Catholic back? Okay, great. Isn't, isn't it kind of a personal thing? You sit there with that priest who loves you. He's there to help you. And it's kind of a personal thing. I, I've never been through that. Guess what? We have a personal high priest. He knows us. He knows the attacks that have been made on us. He sees them all. He's experienced everything you're going through. He has experienced it. He's experienced it all without sinning. And he has compassion on you. He has compassion on me because he knows exactly what the devil's trying to do, Gary. The devil's trying to destroy us and Jesus is saying, Rudy, hang in there. We can take care of this. You and me, Rudy. You and me. We'll get through this. I know the devil. Just hang on with me because I am your high priest and I am your passionate high priest with compassion for you. That's why Jesus went through these temptations. He's our personal high priest. He knows our attacks that Satan brings. He's experienced everything we will ever experience without sinning. He is our model to help us resist the devil. And we can draw near to him and receive mercy and receive strength to resist the devil and all that the devil is trying to do to us. In James, it says this, James chapter 4, and we misquote this verse. The verse says, submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Do you know how we, how we quote, most people quote this verse? Resist the devil, he will flee from you. I'm sorry, that's not what it says. It says, submit to God first. First, you're on your hands and knees before God, and you're saying, God, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ, blah, blah, blah. And we go through that process of giving our lives to Jesus. We're submitting to God. Then we can say and look the devil in the eye, 
I resist you. Get out. Because he who is my high priest has poured himself into my life. And the devil has to run. He has no place in my life. He has no place in your life. He can't stay there. He's not allowed to stay there because the blood of Jesus Christ covers me, covers you. And the enemy cannot get past the blood. Well, Jesus was called to be our Savior, but Satan wanted his soul. Satan didn't want Jesus on the cross. Why? Wouldn't you think that Satan would be glad to have Jesus killed? He knew that if Jesus ever got to the cross, that his blood would be a cleansing for sin forever. The devil doesn't want that in your life or mine. If you've come to Jesus Christ and you've been blood washed by his blood, you are free from the devil and your sins are never going to be thrown at you by Jesus. You're going to make a mistake. I've made mistakes. All, all two of them. I made two mistakes in my life. That's all. Okay, three mistakes. He knows those mistakes. He knows that the devil wanted his soul so that Jesus couldn't forgive me of my mistakes. That's what he's doing. Jesus wasn't afraid of the devil. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. That's the, that's the thing that Satan didn't quite understand. He knew it, and he was ready. He was prepared because he was going to restore our soul to God. That which Adam and Eve broke off with God, Jesus repaired when he went to the cross. No cross, no Holy Spirit, no Acts 2.4. You, you need to understand something. If we don't have the cross, there are things we do not have. We don't have Acts 2.4. We don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have 120 people speaking in tongues. I need to encourage you, and I say this respectfully. I don't throw things at people. But if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to seek God for that. It's not just so you can speak in tongues, okay? Please. That's not my big cup of tea. My big cup of tea is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, whether you're speaking or not. You've been baptized in Him. You don't have to rattle off in tongues all day long to please God. No, no. But you need to be prepared at those moments when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and you begin to share in a heavenly language that you have never, ever learned. I've been driving down the road and something will grip me and I'll sense the presence of the Lord and tears will come down my eyes and I'll begin to say, thank you, Jesus, and suddenly I'm speaking in other tongues. I don't sit down at my table at night and say, okay, God, I think I'm going to speak in tongues now for the next 10 minutes. Is that okay with you? That's not what the baptism is about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was given to give you strength, spiritual strength. And that heavenly language is given so that you could respond. What does Paul say in Romans? He says, when you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is praying through you, always in the will of God, always. See, we can pray in our regular language and not know whether we're in the will of God or not. I, you know, God, I, I'd, yeah, I'd love to have a new Cadillac, God, sure. Well, well, wait a minute. What does that have to do with the will of God? But when we're praying in the Spirit, when the Spirit comes on us and we're praying, He's praying through us, He's always praying in the will of God for you. Always, Tyler. Always. That's His job. No cross, no Holy Spirit. No cross, no ministry, no revival. Do you know that this revival that has broken out is now in over 30, uh, 30 university campuses? Some high schools have gotten in, and I just found out they are having revival outside at Times Square, New York. Hello? Come on. Give me a break. Do you think God is worried about the devil? There are no big names preaching in these churches. There are no big evangelists going, you know, it's me. It's, it's, listen, you listen to Rudy Greco, you're really going to have revival. No, no, no big dudes are up there doing their thing. It's young people crying out to God, 
submitting to God. And they're resisting the devil as they're submitting. And the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And they sing and they praise God. And people get healed and baptized in the Holy Spirit outside. Are we in the last days or not? You better know that. You better recognize that. We are in those moments of the last days. No cross, no Holy Spirit. No cross, no ministry, no revival. No cross, no New Testament church. Did you think about that? If there were no cross, we would live, still be living in the Old Testament. There'd be no New Testament. The Jews would still be in control. There'd be no Christianity. We'd still be killing animals. Do you see why the devil wanted to destroy Jesus? Because he wanted not only to destroy Jesus, he wanted to destroy New Hope Church. And everybody in this church that he knows loves him. Satan wants to destroy us so that we will not produce what God wants us to produce. We'd be back to the Old Testament doing sacrifices like you can't believe. But oh... A deal was made in 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is what I believe Satan never recognized. I really feel that in my heart. I can't prove it, but I, I, I feel this, okay? But Peter picks it up in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. He says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Okay, we understand the value of giving silver or gold to redeem something. You go to the pawn shop, you put your ring in there, or you brought your refrigerator, they gave you 10 bucks, and now you need your refrigerator back, so you go back and give them 10 bucks. That's called redemption. It says, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers. No but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus was a spotless offering. For he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I truly believe Satan didn't realize what that scripture meant. If he did, I don't think he'd have pestered Jesus at all. I don't think he'd run and hide somewhere. It was already agreed upon before Adam and Eve were ever created. Plan B. You won't think that God knew that Adam and Eve would sin? Sure he did. But he had to give all of us the privilege, the right to refuse him, Gary. That's what free will is. I have a right to refuse God. See, God didn't grab a hold of me and say, you're coming with me whether you like it or not. That's not the way God operates. He gives you a choice. You make the choice to serve Him. And so we find that Peter says, way before all this stuff came into being, way before Adam and Eve ever were created, Jesus broke the Old Testament mold. Way before. He fought the devil so we could be free from the curse. He fought the devil so we could pick up our cross and follow Jesus. He fought the devil so that we could win souls. Go to chapter 21 of Matthew, chapter 28 of Matthew. Jesus had purpose for what he does. Everything he does had a purpose. It says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, that's why Jesus endured the temptations. So that he could say to you and to me, you have authority. You have authority, Dean. You go out and tell people about Jesus Christ and they'll follow you. You have authority, New Hope. Live for Jesus. Live for God. And be surprised how many people will follow you into the church. There's going to be a day when you're going to have a hard time getting in that front door. This house. This house right here. This house. I know you think I'm crazy and I am. 
But Jesus was tempted on purpose, not accidental, so that I could preach the word to you, so that you could respond to the word, so that you could get involved and say, I can do that. Jesus, I can do that. Jesus, yeah, you help me, I can do that. That's why he endured Satan's temptation, to give us freedom from sin. Listen to me, lover. You know I love you. You know that. If you don't know I love you, there's something wrong. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. He lost the battle. He's on his way out. He knows it. But he wants to destroy everybody that he can before he hits the the skids that will take him down to the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Stand up to the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He's got to take a run. If we follow Jesus, we have revival. If we follow Jesus, we'll have everything we need. I don't care what you need. God knows it better than I do. He knows it better than you do. And he's big enough to supply your need. If you need, if you need it right now, seriously, and this is not a joke. I don't joke about these things. But if you need it for some business purpose, a million dollars, he could provide it for you as long as you were using that money for the glory of God. That's who he is. I don't know what you need. He does. So I need Jesus. Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, which is the rapture of the church. I'm looking forward to that. I don't think it's that far away. I think I mentioned this to you once, at least. I think I did. 40 years ago, 40 years ago, when I was pastoring Tracy, California, I still remember it. I stood up at that. We were in our brand new building. 350 people out there loving God. And I said, I thoroughly, thoroughly believe that I will be here, alive, at the rapture of the church. I expected my wife to be with me, too. She jumped the gun. There are no accidental, coincidental things with God. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's his promise to you. Dan's promise to me. It's his promise to everyone. I'll be with you always. Nothing accidental. And you may have forgotten, but when Jesus was finished with the temptations, it says in that last verse back in chapter 4, which we don't have to go back to, when he was through and Satan took off, the angels came and ministered to him. Isn't that better than a loaf of bread? I mean, come on. Turn the stones into bread, Jesus. I know you're hungry. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Satan takes off, and the angels came and ministered to him. I'd rather have that than a loaf of Italian bread. That's what God's offering us. Life, yeah, we go through it. Problems in life, yes, we have those. Temptations, absolutely. But what he's saying is, if you hang on to me like I hung on to my father during that temptation, the the angels will come and they will minister to you and they will give you whatever you need to succeed for God in this life. I'm not worried about the next life. That's taken care of. I'm concerned about us right now here, New Hope, that we take the word of God seriously. And we say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to serve you. Thank you for going through the temptations. Now I understand why you did. And I'm going to live for you. Knowing you're by my side and not the devil. He's been kicked away. I'm submitting to God. I'm resisting the devil. He has to flee from me. Amen? I don't know where you are this morning, but you do. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I would. I look around and I think that all of you do. Almost positive that you do. That's good. You know me, I don't embarrass people. That's not my job. My job is to offer love to you. So when this service is over with, those of you who want to stay behind, you have something. You may have a need that I need to pray for. I felt as I was preparing for this message, and I'm just saying this, I felt that there would be a couple of people here this morning that I really need to pray for you for some needs. 
I don't know what they are. I don't know who you are. So I'm going to stay here. I'm going to just try to obey God. That's all. And if you're here this morning and there's something that you need, please let me pray with you. Amen? You love Jesus? Are you glad he's your high priest? Are you glad he's taking care of all those temptations? Are you glad he's going to be with you when you wake up in the morning and take you on your next journey through this week? You know that Dave and I will not be here for the next two Sundays. We will be in Nashville, Tennessee. We're having a family get-together. <clears throat> the whole, most, most of the family will be there. <clears throat> Pray for us that we have a time of enjoyment with them. Trina just got back from visiting her family. and She had a good time with them. And make sure you're here next Sunday. Because I understand Brother Spears, I think. I've never met Brother Spears. I understand he's a good man. A good preacher. Is that right? You be here. And you tell him how much you love him. And maybe give him a hug or two for me. I've never met the gentleman. Someday I will. But the next two Sundays we'll be gone and we'll be back the third Sunday after that. Father, we thank you. You're so good to us. I'm grateful, Jesus, that you stood in the gap and you took all the blows that Satan would love to give me when you took care of these temptations. And you proved to me and everybody in this room that you're capable of resisting the devil and chasing him out of our lives. For this we give you thanks. Strengthen us this week, Lord. Continue to put your love and your power in our lives. Continue, Lord, to let Jesus shine through us that in this week people will see Christ and they'll wonder who we are and they'll want to speak to us and find out if they can learn more. It's called revival. So I thank you, Father, for who you are. Bless these people. Give them strength for this coming week and wisdom, I pray. We ask it together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, we have refreshments for you. For those who need prayer, please come up. Uh, otherwise, refreshments over in the left. And we're so glad to see you. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. And I won't be here, but I'll be here in spirit for the next two Sundays. So make sure you're here because I'm going to be watching. Amen? God bless you. Thank you. Let me pray with those who need prayer.